0: This is the Journey 66 book writing podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book or maybe you've gone off road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Many people begin to think about writing a book because after years of speaking on a topic, they hear, you should write a book. Maybe you should. But the problem many professional speakers face is this, speaking is not writing. You can't just take your PowerPoint presentations and dump them into separate chapters of a book. Both speaking and writing are idea-driven, but how the ideas are packaged and delivered is unique. On today's podcast, Dave and I are going to pick apart the differences and provide insight about how to use your speaking presentations as a launching point. So Dave, we've worked with many authors who are incredible speakers, but when they go to write a book, they get stuck. What is the number one mistake they make?
1: The temptation always is to take the raw PowerPoint presentations or the raw notes from Uh, A session in which you're speaking take those notes and try to shoehorn them into chapters and it just doesn't work that way. PowerPoint presentations and even the notes for a talk are just fundamentally different from writing a book.
0: Book writing is a different craft than speaking and how so?
1: I think the first thing is that both PowerPoint presentations and notes or preparation for a regular speaking uh, event in front of a large audience. Both of those often can be a series of obliquely connected ideas and that just doesn't work for for book writing. So book writing is a very, has a very, very narrow idea. It has a thesis. It has a provocative idea or evocative idea that is going to be argued in the book. And so presentations often are too general. They tend to be a list of ideas.
0: With speaking, you also have an audience, which really changes your delivery of the content. Isn't that true?
1: Oh man, there's so much dynamic and change and energy that happens when you're speaking in front of a live audience. Now, in recent years, it's been more online and and that's more difficult. It's, It's difficult to speak in a webinar setting where it's mostly one way and it's not as dynamic. But in a live audience, for example, or in a setting with a live audience, you have body language, you have tone, you have voice inflection, you have pauses, those pregnant pauses and cadence. You know, the audience is sometimes leaning forward, sometimes they're laughing, they're creating energy back to you as a speaker and really good speakers are reacting in real time to that
0: and they're even adding in content that wasn't in their notes that comes to them just as they're speaking
1: absolutely in fact the best speakers think like that on the fly
0: also there's this sense that the stories that you tell when you're speaking don't translate well into books meaning I know that I've listened to my dad preach and he would often open with a like a funny story that didn't relate at all to the topic of the sermon. And that's often how speakers warm up a crowd, right? And those don't belong in a book.
1: Right, right. In fact, often, sometimes the first 10 to 15 minutes of a speaker is this quote unquote, warming up of the audience. And so, yes, you're right, the stories have no context or no association with what he or she is going to talk about. Now, that's probably not true with the TED Talk, right? Um, those tend to be, I think, what, 18 minutes or I don't know what the, the limit is to a TED Talk, but those are much more tight and it's not on the fly, right? But And those are really scripted in, in, in some ways, but uh, stories that you can tell in a presentation or you tell in front of a live audience, you simply cannot use in a book because the kind of tension that you're able to create while speaking, you can't create while writing, or it's different.
0: Also, with speaking, the language that you use isn't crafted, it's more colloquial, it's more the kind of language that you would use speaking to somebody in front of you. And with writing, to engage a reader, you really have to craft sentences and think about words and how they're gonna engage the reader.
1: Boy, that's so true. So, for example, if you're speaking on the topic of leadership, The word transformation is such a cliche, and you could probably get by with that if you're speaking, but if you're using the word transformation in a book, what a snoozer, right? There has been leadership books for 50 to 100 years, or years and years and years. I remember I was a book editor once and for a journal called Leadership Journal, and I was the book review editor. So I would see all these books and they would come, I'd get all the free books, right? So every book that was published on leadership would come through my desk. And I, I grew so numb to that because all the books use the same language, transformation, engagement, and you know all the impact and all these words. Well, you can get by with that in speaking, especially if you're very dynamic in terms of your storytelling. But once you start to lay those words down in a book setting, it becomes very cliche and really unreadable.
0: You talked earlier on about how presentations often are just lists of information and we talk in our online course about the list style book so why can you talk a little bit about when maybe you can use a list format as a basis for starting a book the list style book
1: so that's certainly one category of book it's kind of the how-to book and let's say you are a speaker on dog training you could probably take some of those presentations and write a how-to guide on on, on dog training with a lot of images and call-outs. And, and so some of that might work for a book. So maybe I'm even saying there's a caveat here. There's There's some exception. If you're writing an extremely how-to book, you might be able to take some of that PowerPoint content and it might be more easily converted into a book in, into a book package.
0: And maybe it's more a booklet than a 250-page book.
1: Absolutely it is, and it would be scannable. It's not something somebody would read and be engaged and pass this on to somebody, you know, this changed my life, this 100 pages of how to, how to change my, you know, how to train my dog, right? It's, it's practical. It's a different kind of book. So these list books are legitimate. I mean, think about the most famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? That's a list book. Those those ideas are seven great ideas, but they're not really connected to each other. It's not like they build on each other. They're standalone ideas. And often presentations are like that. They are st- a series of standalone ideas. And that's why it's so hard to translate that. In a book, you're taking a very narrow idea and making a case for that idea or arguing for that idea for 250 pages, or however long the book is, and without losing the reader's interest.
0: So that unifying idea, we like to call it a thesis. Some people call it something else, but we like to call it a thesis. How do you begin to take all these PowerPoint presentations that a speaker might have and whittle it down to one unifying idea? And how do you go about saying, this presentation doesn't work, but this one does?
1: That is hard work. That is called editorial judgment. I think as you look, I think the first thing is you have to say, not everything that's in these PowerPoint presentations is going to be in the book. So start with that assumption. So you're going to have to leave a lot of what's in these presentations on the cutting room floor. They need to be cut because they simply aren't going to work. Another is to look at all your presentations and say, what are some common themes that I've been talking about over the years? What are some themes? And of all those themes, what is the one idea that raises the most interest when I talk? Or when people come up to me, what do they want to talk about most? And it might be a very, very narrow question, but that might be the genesis of a really good book idea, something that's very specific. I would say you have to sort through your presentations and start to look for common themes, and then try to connect that to conversations you've had with your audience about the topics that most resonate with them.
0: Hey Dave, you told me about a book idea that you thought was really great the other day, and I think you thought it was great because it was really narrow and provocative and
1: that was a conversation I had with Paul a friend of mine he came over the other day and we walked over to get coffee and and he said hey Dave you got to pick up this book and and again that's how books sell right if you want to sell your book you got to create something so great that it's worth talking about so his conversation with me is a good example of of why a book works right it's it's so good you got to tell somebody else but the book was this idea, and I'm going to screw this up. Uh, but it was the idea that there's all this talk about how does a country like America get more people into the top 20% economically. Well, his idea is kind of provocative. He said, well, if you're going to do that, that means some people out of the top 20% are going to drop out. of the- So you can't have more people into the top 20% without having people in the top 20% having to drop out of the top 20%. You can't add to 20%. You have to have, you know, it, it's 20%. So his point was that people who are in the 20% fight so hard to keep themselves and their kids in the top 20%. Well, I thought that was a great idea for a book. And it's kind of provocative. Right. Because nobody wants
0: it. to be dropped out of the top 20%. If nobody you're in wants it. <laughs> Exactly.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And people want to be in that top 20%. And debunk those people. <laughs> well think about this.
1: It, it has two characteristics of a great book thesis. One is very narrow and it's provocative, right? It, it's a provocative idea.
0: Absolutely. I you have to tell me the title of that book. You don't know it off the top of the head. I don't remember it
1: off the top <laughs> of my head.
0: All right. So once you have that unifying idea, you've laid everything out and you say I think this is the idea that is thread throughout all of my research and presentations in the past, but there's still holes in their thinking, their writing, how do you go about kind of filling in those holes and patching it together to create a book?
1: So we talk about this process of winnowing your thesis, you know, coming up with 10 theses, 10 theses and selecting one of them. So it's a process of, of selecting and creating that narrow book thesis. But once you've done that, you have all this content that you have from these PowerPoint presentations. And, and you can get by with third-rate research in a speaking engagement, something that's not been well researched, uh, but you really can't get by with that in a book. You just can't. And so the, you don't necessarily have to have primary research where you go out and conduct primary research. Now, we have several authors that we're working with right now that have conducted large studies of, of a certain data set, and out of that study, They're getting some insights, but even with that, you still have to write a compelling book. You don't just dump that research in your book. So my point would be is once you have that narrow idea, start to think about your book structure and then start to think, okay, what kind of research do I need to support each of these chapters?
0: So if you're not doing primary research, what other kind of research is there?
1: I think there are concrete research sources that you can go to. So for example, if you're doing a book on nutrition, there are some primary researchers that you can quote in the book. and You should know those. So if you're doing something on, for lack of a better category, the keto diet, there are people who've done extensive research on the keto diet. Well, that is a basis. That's some substantive research for your book. So you can get research that's been already created and use that to support your, uh, your ideas in the chapter. Obviously, you're not lifting that research to the surface of the, of, the, of the running text, but you're using that. So that would be one thing. Another thing is creating better stories and finding good stories. And stories are the missing link in many nonfiction books. As we say that good nonfiction writing uses all the techniques of fiction writing, right? And, and so storytelling is one of those. And so it may be that you need to go and research your subjects, uh, develop a set of questions, do some phone research, push them for good stories, and that becomes really substantive and weighty and really good material for uh, turning those presentations into a book.
0: That really points to the significance of having a structure in mind because once you have that structure and you have those buckets, those categories for those chapters, as you're going about your daily life, you're going to come across stories, maybe on a podcast or on a news story or a friend tells you something and you're like, man, that relates to what I want to speak about. And you just start collecting those ideas and dumping them in a file. So once you have that structure, that's really the first thing that you need to do. And then other things will start to be able to be dropped into those buckets.
1: Boy, that is so true. And that just reminds me, I had a friend who did not write this book, but he had an idea for a book called Capture. And he had this idea that every time you have an idea, you have to write it down immediately, not just because you might forget it, which most of us do, but when you are writing it down immediately, there's something about the heat of the idea and the energy of the idea in the moment that if you try to recollect it later, It doesn't have that same energy and heat and emotion to it. So this idea of having this book structured, having files where you can just throw in ideas like uh, something like you're walking to Starbucks and you observe something. Observation is one of the biggest missing links as well, just as stories are in nonfiction where you're observing something like human behavior and observation is a great piece to add into your your content and your story so back to your point if you have your book outline like you have 10 chapters you have 10 buckets right and or if it's 15 buckets you know I often we talk about books where we're too cliche it's always 250 words and 10 chapters but they're all different types of books the point here is Create these buckets and start throwing in these ideas. Even as you're working on, let's say, Chapter 1, you have a great idea, throw it into Chapter 5. Just dump it in there, shut the file, and keep working on Chapter 1.
0: Right, or have a notepad by your bed at night. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can jot it down and then put it in your computer in the morning. Just capture the ideas. Capture,
1: capture, capture.
0: Okay, so you go through, you do more research, you start to collect stories and observations... But what if there still isn't enough content in each of those chapter buckets? Then what?
1: Well, sometimes you have to face the idea that your book idea might not be a full book idea. Maybe it's only a long article. That's a scary thought.
0: Or maybe freeing.
1: Or it could be very freeing. You realize, you know, this idea, I don't have the energy to create an entire book out of it. And to be honest with you, some ideas are not book-worthy. There, you can't sustain an argument for 10 chapters or 15 chapters or 20 chapters, whatever it is.
0: And maintain the reader's interest.
1: And maintain the reader's interest. We need to do a whole podcast on tension and how to create and resolve tension within a book, within chapters, because that's the biggest reason why people don't don't say to someone, man, you've got to read this book. If someone says, oh, Dave, you've got to pick up this book on economics, it, it's so interesting somehow that writer has captured that person's interest for 250 pages. That's hard to do. It really is hard to do.
0: So we get a lot of people who ask us to review books, and sometimes we have to give them the honest truth that they just don't have enough for a full book. And how how do you know if you don't have enough for a full book?
1: Just recently, uh, I had lunch with a woman who is in business. She's a coach and works with a lot of different companies, and she was embarrassed to hand me her book that she had published. And I don't know why she felt embarrassed, but she finally gave me a copy. And it was a really really short book. And it was like 80 pages. And it was almost a booklet, but it was it was packaged as a book. And as I flipped through the content, I realized, man, this this woman has some great ideas. This 80-page booklet which is what it was could have been 250 pages she just didn't know how to develop her ideas to add stories to layer it in with research to to um, there's areas of the book where she just needed to provide more explanation so I thought her book was tremendous at 80 pages and it could have been I think 250 pages easy because she just didn't realize all the different ways you can develop your ideas. And we talk about this in our online course. We also talk about this in our coaching, which is there are three things you can do with an idea. You can explain an idea and you can prove an idea, make a case for it and give reasons why that idea is true. And you can also apply it. In many ways, storytelling is applying the idea. Not always, sometimes you're using a story to illustrate uh, or prove a point, which is proving. But there's just so many things you can do with a a really good idea. So just because you're stuck doesn't mean necessarily that it's a full book, and it doesn't mean that it can't be a full book.
0: I wanna tell a story of working with an author who did a lot of research, did a lot of speaking, and that author's default when they got stuck writing was to just dump in a graph or dump in a chart rather than taking that chart and wrapping narrative around it and her thinking around it. I think that's one of the key dangers of taking presentations and putting them in a book is that you kind of default to the easy thing because it's much harder to actually think about your ideas that you just kind of list off in a presentation than it is to just put them in a JPEG and put them in the book. That is
1: so true. And and if, I mean, how many online presentations have you, have you endured (laughs) that have these graphs that you can't even read, right? It's like, Probably ninety five percent of all graphs should be fired or eliminated. <laughs> and and if you're using those kind of graphs in a book, it's like <sighs> snoozer, right? People are bailing out. It's why business books are so as a general category, tend to be really, really boring. So when you find a really good business book, you're like, whoa, because it's so compelling and it doesn't have all those kind of cliches, which are the graphs and the and the information driven
0: The Venn diagram. The Venn
1: diagram. Oh, (laughs) Lord, the Venn diagram. Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I guess I want to wrap up by saying that we're not saying you can't take your presentations and make a book out of it. You just have to be really selective and careful, slow down the process, and really think about what your big unifying idea is.
1: That's right. And and know that it's more difficult than, than just taking everything you have, and somehow thinking you can shoehorn that into a book. It's just, it, it, the, the two categories of speaking and writing are so fundamentally different that it, it's, they're, they're really on opposite ends. I don't know, spectrum is not the word, but they're two different things. And, and so you may be a speaker and people may be saying to you, you should write a book, and I think you should. But just know that that's different in kind from what you've already done. And you will have to take a little bit of a learning curve Um, to do that. And the first step is to find your book thesis. Identify an idea that is so provocative and so compelling that someone who reads that idea for the first time goes, whoa, and, and wants to keep reading once you start writing the book.
0: I think that's a wrap. Dave, did you want to tell our audience about the special that we're running right now?
1: So if you go to the website and click on online course, it'll take you to our store. And if you put in the promo code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You'll receive 15% off our online course, which is $597. If you have any questions about that, just email us, Dave and Melissa at journey66.com.
0: Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Melissa Parks.
1: And I'm Dave Getz.
0: Now buckle up and write.